0: it is about practices of course but there's a there's been a, a long standing mindset in education that we're as as educators we deliver instruction and students have to meet us that if they don't come to us and they don't meet what we are presenting then that student you know has not measured up i think the the mindset of inclusion is that the onus is actually on us to find ways to make sure that everyone can participate in learning
1: Welcome to Education RX. The education system in the U.S. is sick and we all need to
2: find ways to heal it. I'm Holly Bronson. I'm Shannon Donaway. Together, we have almost 50 years of experience working as professionals in a school setting. We may not have all the answers, but
1: we're looking for people who have a piece of the solution puzzle. This is Education RX. All right, so today we get to interview, and mostly it's me interviewing. Unfortunately, the reality is that we are both full-time educators, and so sometimes our interview schedule is hard to manage. So today, Shannon gets to join me in the beginning and then has to jump off to go to an IEP or treat children, and so that's just what it is, right? So we're going to roll with that, but we got to talk to Sam Carey, the next generation teacher and the new EdTech classroom founder and CEO. And it was a really great interview. I'm excited for us to get to hear it.
2: I got to meet him. So I got to say hi. And I know a little bit about his company and what's going on. So that was really nice. But I feel like I did miss out on the interview.
1: Well, then you get to listen to it as well. And you'll enjoy it because he had some amazing things to talk about and very insightful. And because He began his career as a teacher in the classroom for over 10 years before he started creating the new ed tech classroom. He has a lot of insight and real world experience about how teachers can work with students to engage them and have that universal design perspective Mm -hmm. in ways that are easy, but also ways that you can start building and build it up as you go. So I think he just has really good insights and I found the conversation very engaging.
2: Perfect. I can't wait to hear it. Let's listen.
1: All right. Well, Shannon, before you go, do you want to start by introducing Sam?
2: Sure. Yes. (laughs) I can do, well, I'm going to have you introduce yourself, but I will tell our listeners that we are interviewing today, Sam Terry. He is the founder of new ed tech classroom. And so why don't you share a little bit about yourself and what you do?
0: Sure, so I'm a former classroom educator of a decade and an instructional coach. And I now support teachers full-time with meaningful technology integration through a company that I started while I was still in the classroom teaching. And I'm fortunate enough to now be able to do that all the time.
1: Well, and I have to say, I, so I'm an occupational therapist, Shannon's a speech therapist. Together, we sort of teamed up in the district we were working in up until this year together, and we did all of the assistive technology for students who needed like communication devices and so on. But also in our therapy roles, we worked a lot with trying to create accessibility for students, and so that's sort of how we got into ed tech and about oh gosh, it's been five years at least. I don't know when you started your YouTube channel, but early 2019, I started following you. And it was a you and Casey Bell. I, <laughs> I followed both of you and just started learning so many cool things that I ended up going back to school and getting a master's degree in instructional design and technology to learn more about the techie in so that I could be more fluid with it. But you were definitely... I'm kind of geeking out because you were definitely a role model to me.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you. That's very, very flattering to say. Yeah, it's always amazing to hear that the work has an impact because, you know, oftentimes I'm here like alone in my studio and putting stuff out there, but it's great to hear that it's reaching people and and impacting people's practices.
1: One of the things I really like about even in your very earliest videos, first of all, you were always pretty smooth about how you put stuff together. So pointers are going to be awesome from you, (laughs) but what I really like about the things that you were bringing forward is you were really finding things that teachers could start doing the very next day in their classroom, and they were ways to get students engaged in the learning and really make it student-centered, and this whole season, that's what we're focusing on, whether you call it inclusion or student-focused learning, student-driven learning, whatever you're calling it, that's kind of the goal i mean coming back from covid and you know i'm preaching to the choir here we all know as educators all the remote learning really threw the groove for a lot of kids and so we're trying to figure out and for teachers and a lot of teachers came back and they were exhausted and feeling like they couldn't make it interesting or they got all new curriculum or you know how everything just changes (laughs) constantly So we're really trying to equip people. And I thought you would be one of the perfect people to talk about this, especially because of some of the things that your company is putting out right now. I was watching YouTube videos before you jumped on from new EdTech Classroom and your choice boards and talking about the metaverse and some of those things that are very timely and using chat GPT. We've been talking about that a lot this season. So some of those things. So that's, that's why we brought you here. That's why we were hounding you. I, I hounded you. But thank you for saying yes.
0: <laughs> well, well, thank you to, for being patient with me because I'm terrible at responding to email.
1: Well, so start about talking about how you kind of got started because you did get started before the pandemic. And so give us just a quick little background on that.
0: Yeah, So I started putting out videos on YouTube really because I was frustrated myself with the lack of Training that I was getting in technology integration, not just effective training, but just like the absence of any kind of training. And then even when I was getting training, it it was still done in a way that I wasn't finding to be particularly effective. And at that time, I didn't see a lot of material on YouTube in particular. A lot there wasn't a lot of video content that was showing people through a visual medium how to use technology and that struck me as pretty important to be able to to see how something works not just see or not just read about it or not just see a still image of it in something like a blog post but to actually be walked through the process and i felt that if more teachers could see it and learn how to use these tools pretty quickly and also see how they can be used to impact student, student engagement and things that teachers already cared about in a pretty easy way without a ton of extra work that teachers would do that. And that potentially a barrier was that they just didn't know how to do that. So that's really was the impetus for starting the channel at the time.
1: And I think you accomplished that. I mean, for me, as a viewer, somebody who at the time was pretty new to that stuff, I really felt like you accomplished that because that's what I was getting out of it. And I still do because I still follow you guys and watch and catch up on your stuff pretty regularly. That's great to hear. One of the things I really like about how you put information out was, and if you see me looking down, I'm taking notes. (laughs) So I'm listening, but I'm taking notes and I'm looking at 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 our questions. (laughs) One of the things that I think I really found in your tutorials when you were on YouTube was you would pick different options that a lot of times were free or had free versions. And I think that's really meaningful too. I don't know if the general public realizes how much money teachers spend trying to get, whether it's tools for the classroom or rewards for kids or just whatever. And teachers already don't make a lot and then they're spending money on stuff. So I really appreciated that you were sensitive to that. And I think some of that comes from being a teacher yourself.
0: Yeah, it's always been really important for me to showcase tools that at minimum have a pretty robust free program. Of course, I do occasionally show some programs that are paid only and ones that certainly have freemium features i understand those companies need to make money so there are often going to be premium features for those programs but yeah that's the reason why you won't see a lot of videos on the channel for programs that are paid only just because that is obviously a barrier to use for a lot of folks and i hate to see teachers paying out of pocket for anything i think that's totally ridiculous and that's an unfortunate situation. It's a situation that, that I was in. I, I worked at a school where they gave us a small budget, so I was able to spend a little bit of money on that. But I, I was also spending plenty of my own money, as I'm sure everybody else is too.
2: Yeah, we all end up doing that, I think, as educators. I'm, I'm actually going to head out. I'm Again, I'm really sorry. I wish I could stay, but I have to run.
1: No <laughs> well, problem. thanks for jumping on, Shannon. I'll catch you yeah. later. So I have noticed that you have gotten, not only have you grown your company in such a way that now you're not working in the classroom anymore, you're really just running the new edtech classroom, right? Yes. And now you're also speaking a lot of places. So if people are interested in getting more training and stuff from you, not only can they go on YouTube or your website, but you show up at a lot of conferences and things, right? All around the world.
0: I do speak at conferences. I, I and I also do in person professional development. We are really trying to focus on our online program, and we to kind of fill that need. Actually, we have a really exciting partnership coming up with EdTech Teacher. They have a group of really amazing. Professionals that go around and lead in-person professional development and their focus is largely on universal design for learning and project based learning. So we're actually going to be creating a program from our online program that expands it to offer in-person instruction in addition to the online portion. So I will be going out and leading some of those. PDs, but I will also be training some of their folks and working with them to come up with the program so that it works well with what we offer online. And my focus in the upcoming year is still mostly gonna be on trying to build out the online content.
1: That's amazing because that's exactly... What we're hearing is we're talking to different professionals and teachers and educators across the country that they're looking for. They're really looking for things that are simple, that are sort of plug and play, and they can just start using right away. And you're making that possible. This is part of why when I say I'm geeking out, it's because I just have so much respect for your creativity and your understanding of what is needed. And and you're putting it out like ahead of before people can even get the request. That's a beautiful thing.
0: Thank you. Appreciate that. So
1: tell me about UDL from your perspective, because even when you started your online program through YouTube, you know, five years, five plus years ago, you were already showing things that were universal design. And a lot of people think that inclusion means getting kids who potentially have special education or IEPs, or maybe even that we're just focusing on students that maybe have socioeconomic gaps, or maybe because of race or other features that they're not getting the same instructional opportunities. And so we're really wanting to talk about all kids. Like we're looking at inclusion as making sure that nobody's excluded and universal design can be a piece of that. So talk about some of the things that you found that are really key for that.
0: Yeah. So first of all, I think it's an important point that universal design for learning can often be pigeonholed as something that is for special education and although the concept of universal design did originate as an architectural movement that was moved forward by the disabilities uh, movement at the time, disabilities rights movement, it is still essentially a framework, a mindset that is intended to be inclusive for everyone. So that's important. And it, I think a lot of the perception that UDL and some of these, just any other framework, MTSS, for example, might be something that only applies to a, a subset of students is. In large part because of the way that differentiation, I think, has been communicated to educators for a long time. And I think it's actually important, too, to differentiate between the two of those that if you're thinking about it actually in terms of architecture, you have a building that has been poorly designed from the outset. And the approach that differentiation would take to that is to say, okay, this building is not accessible. It does not lack or it lacks the ability to... Get up and down the stairs if you cannot walk up and down the stairs. So, we're going to add a feature onto those stairs, like a ramp, to make it more accessible. And that is an okay approach, but the more ideal approach, the approach of UDL or Universal Design, is to build the accommodations into the building the first time around. So, that applies to education in the sense that we're trying to build out tier one instructional strategies so that they apply to as many students as possible and, I, and you mentioned the word inclusion I also think that that is really largely about a mindset it's not so much about it is about practices of course but there's a there's been a, a long-standing mindset in education that we're as as educators we deliver instruction and students have to meet us that if they don't come to us and they don't meet what we are presenting then that student you know has not measured up i think the the mindset of inclusion is that the onus is actually on us to find ways to make sure that everyone can participate in learning and that's ultimately what universal design is about what udl is about
1: so that kind of takes us to this place
0: of how
1: different generations of teachers and people who've been trained in education to become teachers see it very differently. So some teachers are still in that mindset. I'm supposed to be standing in front of the classroom, delivering information that students are supposed to absorb and then do something with, but we're seeing a huge shift. And I think it's a beautiful thing. I think it's a really hopeful thing that we're seeing this shift of teachers are in it with students, they're participating with them, are you seeing that as well as you're talking with educators across the country?
0: Yes and no. It it depends. I I definitely see a recognition amongst educators that it's important. I think you're going to see more traditional practices amongst folks like myself in my generation and older generations as well. I'm I'm 40, so I I was still very much taught in a direct instruction teacher-led instruction uh, lecture and listen style and i taught that way for a while understandably because that's the way we've always done it right that's the kind of thinking that perpetuates practices over and over and it's no wonder that folks still teach that way i think you're seeing that less with younger teachers not so much because schools of education are preparing them to do personalized instruction but because they've grown up in a world where personalized instruction is the norm and that's i think where we're coming to a point where it's not just about best practices it's also about what students expect and experience on a daily basis everything is basically personally curated for you and you can go find your own personal learning pathway and so that's why i think there's so much resistance to this idea that we're all going to sit and comply and kind of be in this what must feel like a very antiquated environment to a student who experiences the the technology infused reality you know outside of the outside of their classroom so yes yes and no i i do think people recognize it's important there are also of course plenty of folks who who have a desire to basically go back to the way that things were i've seen that in in lots of places i I also still think that there's a big gap between the vision, the ideal, and, and reality, and that that's largely because of training.
1: And what about resources? Are you finding a lot of teachers are struggling to have good resources like just technology, Wi-Fi, computers, microphones, programs that do these things
0: I don't think so. I don't think that's as much the issue now. It's certainly not a matter of spending. There's. It's hard to track down the, the exact data, but in the previous few years, educate, spending on education technology has increased by billions each year. It's something like yeah. six billion plus every year students have much greater access now to -to one-to-one technology certainly than they did before covid many more students and families and schools have access to high-speed internet and schools are paying for suites of programs and particularly during covid it was just like here take all the programs (laughs) but (laughs) having the tool doesn't mean that you know how to use it
1: right that's such a big problem and i think We're seeing, so one of the episodes we had early on was we talked with Dr. Andrew Ho from Harvard, and he was really going through the NAEP testing and what that means and standardized testing in general. But we're seeing the scores that came out in October 2022, which were the most recent scores, we saw a huge plummet in test scores among students. And we believe, I mean, there's a lot of belief that that is very closely related to the remote learning. And I noticed, gosh, even before those scores came out, you had already put out this cool, cool program. I went on and did the test for it. And it was really, it was very interesting. So I want you to get to talk about that because it's such a cool resource for teachers. And it sounds like now you're even amping up with this new program you guys are getting ready to put out.
0: Yeah so you're referring to next generation teacher which is our yeah. online program it's the it it is the new name for a program that used to be called 21st century teacher and really yeah what we're trying to do is break down the process of what it requires to use technology for the purpose of universal design for learning if you want to call it student-centered instruction that's fine i think that a major barrier for teachers in their ability to implement those practices is understanding how to do it and oftentimes it's presented in a way that is in and of itself a barrier so this is not a knock on cast but if you go to cast's website and you check out the udl framework it's a 30 Plus, point framework that with checkpoints that, if you click on them, have numerous sub bullet points and things like that. And it's all text based without a lot of examples, without scaffolds for how you get to that place. So, we're trying to break that down to provide those scaffolds to say, you can't just tell an educator to put six different projects on a choice board who has never used technology and expect that they're going to be able to give students the choice to make a podcast, make a video, make a graphic design, write a blog post, and expect that a teacher is going to do that because there's going to be all kinds of issues that are gonna come up and it just isn't practical. So to make it practical and realistic, we're trying to separate that into levels to say, okay, there are different, entry points essentially in a person's skills that one would need, skills and knowledge that a person would need in order to get to that place. And so really what we're trying to do is model the practices of universal design for learning for teachers to help them ultimately empower their students with inclusive student-centered practices.
1: And teachers can go onto your website and take the little quiz first to kind of get a feel for where they're at, like as a starting place, right?
0: Yeah, so we built a quiz called the Next Generation Teacher Competencies, or that's that's the framework, but it's called the Next Generation Teacher Scorecard, and yeah, you can take it at nextgenerationteacher.com/quiz, and it's based on a seven-point framework. That you take it, it's five questions per competency, and it will populate a scorecard for you that tells you your score in different competencies and so the idea actually again very similar to universal design for learning is it's not that one person just has is like low or high for example different people have different strengths different people have different areas of growth and the purpose is not to be evaluative it's not to be punitive or anything like that it's it's simply a tool to know okay that's an area where I am already strong. And actually maybe I wanna build upon that. Maybe it's something that I'm inclined to do and I wanna kind of push my skills forward in that area. Or maybe you recognize that, take for example, one of the competencies, Amplify Agency, that you still might need or you could benefit from incorporating more reflective practices uh, to providing students with more choices. And that just makes you aware of that so that you can start to do that and then after you take the quiz we also provide people with personalized resources so you get essentially all the next steps and it's imperfect it's still a work in progress but we're trying to to again identify okay so based on how you answered you probably have this this thing already in place Let's give you a next step for what you might do. And that goes all the way up through level four. So we're still trying to show that growth can happen. It doesn't stagnate after you learn a couple basic practices that you can still uh, be improving.
1: Well, and I think even today when we're having technical difficulties, it is a learning process. I don't think we ever master it. And I think that is a misnomer to people that there's some ideal standard that they have to achieve And the truth is today I was in a classroom um, observing a student and the teacher was doing a lesson with the class where they watched a segment of video that's sort of a cartoon kind of video that takes them through a little story and then they stop and they ask questions and and they're asking about different meanings for words and and having the kids do some critical thinking. And it was very limited on the tech end as far as it was just a video that she stopped and started. But what was really neat, and I think powerful about that moment was that she was engaging the students. They were having a conversation. They were really thinking it through and giving answers. And her response when they got a definition for a word completely wrong was like, okay, okay, let's see what they say. And there's no punitive answer when you when you get it wrong, there's not a punitive response, I guess is what I'm saying. So I thought it was great because it gave kids a chance. And that's one of the things with gaming that I think kids have is they know it's okay to fail because it gives them a chance to grow and learn, and then they get better. And I think in the classroom, we need to adopt that as well. So kids don't feel like they failed, but they're just learning.
0: I think oftentimes when I'm talking about developing skills and taking a quiz and seeing your strengths and areas of growth, that can come across as though I'm suggesting that teachers need to take on additional responsibilities or that they're not doing enough. And it's really not about that at all. You were talking about the importance of inculcating in students this understanding that there's always room for growth and then there's always something new to learn. And really actually that's at the heart of what it means to be a learner and george coros and katie novak in their book the innovator's mindset or i'm sorry not the innovator's mindset that is george chorus's book but he does talk about it in that book as well but in what is it called innovating outside the box or innovating inside the box there we go innovating inside the box let me say that again in george coros and katie novak's book innovate inside the box they talk about how important it is for educators to be lifelong learners. And that is kind of the one criteria that's important is that you be a lifelong learner and that if you're not prepared to be a lifelong learner and you're, you're kind of done learning, that's the moment that a person should consider leaving the classroom. And I do subscribe to that, I do agree with that. So what I'm trying to advocate for is an embrace of, Curiosity of discovery of lifelong learning and ultimately excitement and creativity. And that if you can find that for yourself first, that then can become something that you bring to the classroom. Students notice that you're bringing in new tools and ideas that are exciting you because you've found your joy and creativity mm-hmm. in trying new things and learning. And students see that themselves. And so once you shift that mindset and come to the classroom and you are openly taking risks and openly making mistakes then you're going to help inculcate that in students it's not just about telling students that it has to be modeling that practice and so for me understanding kind of where you might want to target some areas of building your skills has nothing to do with, uh, yeah, this kind of punitive, like, oh, you're not, a, you're not doing enough. It's, it's more about excitement, like, wow, there's something I can do. There's a specific thing that I can learn how to do that will improve my instructional practice, which will improve student outcomes. It will make students more engaged and happier. And by the way, will make you a lot happier in the classroom because you will have far fewer issues with behavior, with academics etc so it's beneficial for everybody really in the long run
1: well and i think that's at the heart of not just education and engagement for students with learning material but our whole first season we were talking about some of the socio our social emotional learning backlash from covid how a lot of students really lost some social skills how teachers were exhausted and what you're talking about like when we look at learning even as educators ourselves we're always learning and growing and the world is going to be like that i mean covid taught us that if nothing else we all had to pivot on a dime right like it was crazy so life is like that and if we can embrace that and model it and then create things and find get that good feedback from students about what's working then they're going to be engaged and they won't be having behaviors and they won't be you know disrupting the class and i know a lot of teachers are dealing with that and they feel tired and maybe just understanding hey make it make it more engaging make them feel like they're a part of it and some of that will go away that might be easier for some teachers who feel like behavior is hard to manage
0: <laughs> yeah and and again i think that the issue is there i mean people are hearing that all the time make learning more engaging or mm. do student led instruction but there's a dearth of information out there about how to do it and and really yeah. practical how to information which is what we're trying to provide people some something else that you mentioned as well is like social so, social emotional learning so this is also something that sometimes gets treated as as though it's cordoned off from everything else it's some separate thing that you do a 30 minute lesson that is specifically about SEL and then that does feel like an add on And I'm not saying you don't do those direct instruction lessons, but this, again, is an example of how student-led instruction or student-centered instruction that is founded on the principles of universal design, it, it covers that. And if you have students taking greater ownership by doing the thinking, collaborating with each other and Dispersing the class so it is not a teacher-centered classroom through in-class flipped instruction, through stations-based instruction, very tangible strategies you can put in place, that starts to do the real-world work of social-emotional learning. It's getting people to work with each other. And then if you yeah. incorporate more project-based learning, that's getting students to work together toward a goal and then you incorporate meaningful learning with essential questions and inquiry based learning they're working toward a very purpose driven interesting goal and that that accounts for SEL you know it's not so i think yeah it doesn't have to be and it shouldn't be this thing where we're looking at all these initiatives kind of as all these little separate pieces right. and that's actually really why i ended up rallying around udl because i used to also talk about udl as though it was one thing amongst among like a bunch of other initiatives and a bunch of other frameworks but it really accounts for all of them and so i don't think we need to be talking about all of these different initiatives with all this different terminology if we just would focus on adopting the mindset of universal design for learning which is something that you could actually start to do immediately like you tomorrow you could start adopting a mindset of UDL, that, that's the most important thing to do.
1: That was really well said. I love that because we do tend to overcomplicate. And I think sometimes administrators think, oh, we need to get this curriculum or we need to add this initiative. Or, And I think it's a beautiful thing to say, what do we already have? What's really working? How do we blend those things together and just shift how we're thinking so that we can use what we've got I think one thing that's complicated for a lot of teachers is that it feels like right when you get used to a new curriculum and you start feeling like you're mastering it and doing well with it, they're like, guess what? Next year, we're going (laughs) to switch to a new curriculum. And a lot of teachers will come back. And I've heard so many teachers say, "Ah, I was finally getting it. And the students were getting it. And it was working. And now we have to do a whole new you know, curriculum or a whole new program or whatever. And so it's a good idea to really look at what you already have that works and see how you can build from there or incorporate those pieces together. And I think a lot of the things that I've gotten from things that you've put out on the new ed tech classroom is you pick really simple things. You bring it down to just start simple because that's enough. It doesn't need to be like you were saying. It doesn't have to be a blog and a video, and a, you know, like all these 10 options. But right now, you have those choice boards where you've got a mandatory instruction that they have to watch, and then two to three choices of how they're going to use that information. Are they going to do an Ed puzzle? I love Ed puzzle. Yeah. It's so great and easy to use, or they're going to do, you know, whatever. So they can go through and choose and you show it to them. Or I know Tom did a video on some of the updates that Google's made. And in the past, I had been a really big fan of text help and some of the tools that they've put out because you had one program that you put on to your Google and it just did everything that the kids that I work with, whether it was a color overlay for scotopic sensitivity or text to speech or now google's building in how it will minimize the text on something that's online so that you can read it without all the ads and things so there's just so many things every day that are tweaking and getting fine-tuned and brought in that you don't need to have a ton of skills you can pick a couple things that work really well tell us not just from your business aspect but as a teacher, what are some of the tools that you felt like and you mentioned a couple just now like with stations and things? Tell us some of the things that you think most teachers could tomorrow start using if they wanted to.
0: Yeah, so this is actually a difficult question for me in the in the sense that I I I have an answer to that question about certain things that are easy to do and that kind of you can you can start to do tomorrow. I also think there is value in Looking at a couple of things that you can do that essentially follow the eighty twenty principle, where you're going to, which is that you get eighty percent of the results from twenty percent of the effort. So, I think rather than throwing a bunch of spaghetti on the board and mm-hmm. or on the wall—that's phrase, the phrase—spaghetti wall, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and and trying all this different stuff, that another approach can also be to try to really swing and hit a home run because if you can just shift a couple of things that there are a few things you can put in place that will have a huge impact and actually yeah some of them are not all that challenging i I do want to also back up and just clarify when i said adopt a udl mindset that what i mean by that is exactly like you said, if you're gonna start from some, you have to start from something, you have some schema, whatever you know, that's everybody does that. So you're gonna start from whatever it is you are currently working with. Eventually you may decide to kind of blow that all up, but that's not, that's not happening now. You're starting with what you know, and the difference in the mindset is that every day you plan a lesson. The purpose of doing that is to anticipate barriers to learning that are going to come up in your classroom and attempt to proactively address those in your lesson design. So it's starting to see yourself as a designer of experiences, you know, and and the more experience you get teaching, you learn more and more. What are some issues that are going to arise? I am going to preempt those issues through a variety of strategies. And so that's really what UDL is about. It's about constantly trying to open, you know, widen the academic tent to bring more students into the fold. And yeah, I do think that there are, I'm going to give a couple of practices that might strike people, strike people as a little bit, more, not like the immediate, I'm just going to go do tomorrow type thing, but that would definitely put you on the path toward that are, that follow that 80, 20 rule. If that's okay, okay. if I can, yeah, if that's, I can great. that's great.
1: That's um, great. I love it.
0: So so one is to stop teaching in front of the classroom. That's you know just basically to whatever extent possible to no longer do direct instruction because anytime we're doing one size fits all instruction, it is guaranteed to leave certain students out. And so you're setting yourself up to fail through one size fits all instruction. Now this does not mean that you do not stand in front of the class and give instructions. You do. But you have actually there's very little class time that's spent standing in front of the class doing that. You may only be asking for students attention for like a minute, perhaps, in class to kind of come back together or to facilitate some kind of whole group activity. But when you're teaching and you're expecting students to get key ideas and key information, you're pretty much always doing that in some kind of flipped environment and i don't mean flipped outside of the classroom i mean that you are either providing students with instructional videos that you have found or you are recording your own instructional videos and having students watch them if if teachers do that one thing that will eliminate a vast majority of behavioral issues because a lot of behavior comes up from this whole kind of you know tension that arises from needing to command everybody's attention have everybody comply with this very kind of traditional like we're all going to sit and watch me or sit and take notes sit quietly and a lot of those behaviors come up because some students can't follow along they're not like processing it auditorily you know the traditional ways we're asking them to like read in their textbook are not working so if I, i know that that does not that's not it doesn't sound like an easy thing, but it actually is. So, the first time I did it, I realized that students were just not understanding. i, I So, I was trained through WestEd's reading apprenticeship, which is far and away the best professional development I've ever done. And I was trained in how to teach students how to annotate text for the purpose of making meaning and doing close reading, essentially. Right. But students were not getting it when I was instructing them live. I mean of course some students a subset of students were getting it, but I was leaving lots of students like miles behind and and that increases as the year progresses, right? That's what happens. Every year you start out everybody's on board and then you start to lose students. And all I did is I I had my partner teacher, my co-planner film me with a phone, just doing the practice of annotating. And instead of teaching them in front of the class, I just said, okay, now watch this video of me doing it. Well, suddenly you're no longer demanding everybody's attention. They're all, you know, headphones on watching that. And then I give them a follow-up activity to practice. Uh, And then that allows you to do all kinds of stuff, you know, so you can pull kids over to a table and work with them. Once you start to build that structure in place, you can give feedback in the moment, you know, you're doing you're all the instruction is happening kind of in this asynchronous way. So you can be getting on a student's Google Doc and, you know, giving them feedback on an essay or something you can, if they're answering Ed puzzle videos and a bunch of kids are getting answers wrong, you just pull over those five kids like, hey, come back over here or you just leave an open space like hey i'll help you know whoever wants to come back to the back table or you have a planned guided reading session or a planned station we're going to do direct instruction so i agree with this idea that katie novak also wrote about recently in her late the latest book with Catlin tucker the what was it called the shift to student led i can't remember the the name yeah. of the book. But that really you should never be doing direct instruction with a group of any more than five students or so and i i 100 agree with that so i think yeah, if that was something, one thing actually that educators would take a risk, and I even see folks that are still doing using technology but still instructing in this way, that is going to just, it's that, that's the kind of thing that has an overnight transformational impact. And it doesn't matter if you don't do it well or if you make kind of lousy videos or, have a restriction because you only have the free version of Screencastify. that's good actually then you're only going to make a five minute instructional video which is the ideal length (laughs) (laughs) and then you know from there you you start tacking on to that like inquiry based questions so really finding what is like essential in what in the content that you teach what's meaningful about it and pose those questions and frame things around those questions you add that component you add alternate ways to show understanding through projects and you start to get students involved in creative projects and collaborative creative projects and then the last really important component is incorporating student reflection so you're having students start to take ownership of their learning they start to curate their work to have in a portfolio you, you start to set up systems where students lead their own conferences and they have to they're held accountable for what they're doing, not just to you, but, you know, to two important stakeholders in their lives. And if you build those components in, that's what I mean by 80-20. You know, I I have nothing against game-based platforms and stuff like that, but that kind of stuff is not the, the sort of superficial engagement strategies are not, they won't be the centerpiece of how you kind of trick kids into being engaged, because if you put those other pieces in place, then you can actually get deep, engagement and then you can throw that other stuff in just kind of for fun to mix it up
1: right, right and for practice or repetition for students who need
0: that sure i'm not against any of that kind of stuff i just think yeah. it's often relied upon or it's it's thought of as that's what it means to teach with technology and all it is is another version of the same types of tricks that i used to use all the time whether it's you know and some of that stuff you have to do i get it like group points and raffle tickets and all kinds of It's just another version of the kind of like shiny object stuff, but that's not what's leading to deep learning or an appreciation for learning or agency in students. That's the thing about practice of reflection is that it helps students see that the effort that they put in has an impact on an outcome. And that's what agency is all about. And so, yeah, you're not gonna get that just from playing games and things like that. And, and the other amazing thing about it is then when you put the ownership on students and, and I mean, through real tangible practices, like having them self-assess, having them come up with rubric criteria, which is not something you do right away, but again, that's something you build toward, then you, you are actually releasing a lot of responsibility or, you know, you're, you're giving them the responsibility and that is no longer something where you have to go, you know, home and grade a gazillion papers because you've, Empowered students to be able to self assess and peer assess and really take ownership of their learning. Again, this doesn't happen overnight. You have to build the skills to be able to do it.
1: Right. But I think what you're tapping into, and we're kind of honestly just starting out, we had questions and stuff that we were going to really focus on. But I feel like this is such good information that I think teachers and educators and families at home need to hear. Because I think in our country, we've gone through a period of time in part because technology was building and just the generation of students coming up into the classroom were very distracted in ways by it because teachers wanted to maintain this this method of teaching that used to be the standard, but the students were shifting in what caught their attention and held their attention. And from my medical background, I know that And this was five years ago. We were saying that students in the United States were taking in over 4,000 bytes per second, which was the highest in the world. And now I'm sure it's even higher. So you think about your brain and the neurology of that. If you go from a blue screen where you're getting that kind of input that's keeping the brain up and alert, and now you have to sit still in a chair where you're not getting good information from your body, and just stare at somebody while they're talking, of course your brain's gonna be like, oh, I don't really have to do anything. I think I'm gonna go to sleep. (laughs) And so it's hard for kids to really focus in on that. And I don't think that's punitive. Like we should feel like this generation is less or it's just different. I mean, we live in a different world. So teachers have to shift because the way students learn is different. And I think we've had this period of time where, that's been confusing for teachers. So they were grasping onto technology things like games and stuff and the new shiny object, trying to figure out how to tap into that. And now we're starting to really come that full circle with educators like yourself and other people that we've been getting to talk to that are saying, okay, this is how we blend the method with some of the tools so that we can really develop that higher that higher cognitive thinking, that critical thinking that students really need. And when we look at the standard tests that go worldwide, that the United States still hasn't broken into the top 10 for academic scores and best education systems, they're looking at critical thinking. And so we know as a country, that's something that we need to be hoping for, looking for, and just as adults working with kids, We know that's something that they're going to need for the rest of their lives. And so that's our goal, no matter math, science, history, you know, reading all of those things. So what you're talking about, that mentality of it's okay for them to have headphones on watching a video for that piece of instruction. I think some teachers feel a level of guilt, like I should be doing something amazing to capture their attention. But, you know, honestly, the bites and the the neurological input they get from that is helping them be alert so that they can really engage with it. And that's not always a negative thing. It can be really, you can make it a positive thing. Your skills at supporting them and finding where the gaps are and leading them through that is what makes you so amazing and we need those teachers out there that want to do that and love that with children. And I think as a culture, we need to elevate the people who have dedicated themselves to that because it's not an easy task and people listening today, thank you for being educators and know that you are so valued and we're going to, as a country, we're going to make it more important to be an educator in the same way other countries have done that so that we can really prioritize our kids and that learning. Cause it's, so powerful. And I love that you're sharing ways that student, that teachers can really start tomorrow, shifting how they think so that they're really tapping into these skills for kids. And that idea of students self-assessing and taking on ownership of their learning. I'm watching kids in first and second grade do that with some teachers and it blows my mind. It is powerful. It is beautiful and they can do it. Right. It's amazing.
0: Yeah, you want to talk about a powerful practice that, again, will shift everything, prep students to lead their own conference. And it doesn't have to be this massive thing. You know, sometimes student-led conferences can be school-wide initiatives that are big ordeals, but even if you do not have a school-wide system to do it and you have very little practice with having students curate work and things like that, you can still put together. In fact, we have on our website, just free downloadable, it's on newedtechclassroom.com, but all that stuff eventually we moved over to nextgenerationteacher.com, but you can go to our original website, Next uh, New Ed Tech Classroom, and we have some downloadables on there for just reflection documents that you can have students fill out where they're just reflecting on their learning and they present about that to their families. And and that's such a powerful shift to make. When you were talking, I did also think about something that is a very easy thing that people could do that where they okay. would see an impact and a culture shift or, or start to, I think, envision a culture shift. It's not that one thing doesn't, you know, will make that shift, but if rather than, if you are still teaching in a way that I did for a long time, which is either asking students to raise their hand to respond or mm-hmm. pulling popsicle sticks to have a few students respond, that instead you just make a linguistic shift in the way you ask a question and you give students a tool. So you say, rather than who has a question, right? If you uh, or you pose something or who has the answer to this question, the statement is, everyone write your answer to this question, and that's being done on Pear Deck or Padlet or Nearpod or Jamboard, it doesn't matter. Some tool that will allow all students to make their thinking visible to just display their answers so that the, so that the whole class can see them, that's, that starts to shift this dynamic Well, first of all, it gets you, you'll be surprised, like, wow, I just got 100% participation when usually I get 10%, you know, even if every single student (laughs) raises their hand, you can only call on a handful. What are you going to call every single student every time? No, you know, but you will start to actually see every single student's response that if you still want to do classroom discussion, you can just rely on that. Like, hey, I noticed that so-and-so wrote this and you know or you know that they kind of warmed up and they wrote a response and shared it but it so not just gets you it doesn't just get you active participation but it also starts to break down this this kind of also antiquated practice of just having the students deliver what they are working on to the to the teacher and instead right. has them start to share their work and so that then becomes something that you integrate into your practice as well so when students make things or do a project or even potentially do a reflection that they share that with everybody else and that that just kind of has this inherent lifting of the floor because when you start to share things you care about it and you're not just now creating it for the teacher to like hand on their desk you're starting to you're going to share it with everybody else and people are going to see it so that's an important cultural shift that you can do tomorrow you know and some of these tools i mean padlet is a great one for it because it's very teacher friendly. It doesn't uh, allow students to erase each other's responses or anything like right. that. And you can set a you can set it so that they have to log in so they can't post anonymously. You can set it so it has, you know, that you have to approve posts before they come onto the board. So it has a lot of functions that allow you to have a high degree of control over it. And okay. I know that, that can be an aspect that's scary if. And I understand that totally, you know, that, oh, it's kind of, I'm going to lose control of it. So that's something that, that I would recommend if, if people are kind of interested in dabbling with some shifts that, you know, you can try tomorrow that, that will start to change things pretty significantly.
1: And I love that when you're getting hundred percent participation, everybody write this answer. And the students write that even if the teacher can't get to everybody in that moment, they get a chance to see kind of where everybody's at and students get a chance to see where everybody's at and they realize they're not alone. And like you were saying, when people start sharing, there's a connection that goes even beyond the work and the ownership of the work. But there's that emotional connection. Students, when the teacher says, hey, I know that you said you were struggling with this, but I thought maybe you could try that. And they're like, oh, my gosh, she she saw that she's listening to me or he he's giving me this tool like they feel seen and there's so many kids out there that need that you know I and mean, we all need that i need that <laughs> so yeah. i'm not trying to isolate a student but definitely i think and then students can help each other it's so beautiful when students help each other and it breaks down when we're in a a time where we're talking so much about equity and treating people you know with quality understanding of one another and our differences. It's such a beautiful way to see you can be different and I can, I can be here and you can be there, but we still are working together. And that's such a beautiful mindset to build. I love that.
0: Yeah. And, and it actually also directly addresses some issues around equity and differentiation it it, in many ways if some listeners might be familiar with glad guided language acquisition development acquisition development uh which is you know a very it's been around for a long time it's a paper based strategy for helping students develop language and particularly for english language learners but it's based on this idea of collaborative collective learning and and that is what visible thinking is about as well so it's 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 a yes it's about sharing it's about seeing each other's work and being able to help each other but when you start to basically build that in as a consistent practice where something might happen individually you're doing it you're practicing it but then whatever you're going to take something then you're going to share that back with the group so let's say for example you say all right we're going to do a see think wonder for this image we're going to record what we see think and wonder individually and then you're going to take one thing you really think is a great idea you're going to share that back with the whole group that is inherent it is built in scaffolding because students can then see oh that's what maybe i should have done you know that are like i'm going to take that idea so then it becomes this collaborative learning experience which is really what Glad is about as well and that that is a when you talk about how do you actually differentiate you know it's this kind of like it's this mystical thing how do you how do you do this how do you support all students that's a practice that doesn't cost anything there's no time cost there's no extra work cost but it allows all the students to start to see work and, and it has the impact of scaffolding for all students and i think another important thing about this is is that like when you mention yeah maybe you're not going to get around to seeing every student's work that is that is actually specifically not the point like meaning teachers should not feel compelled to have to go look at every single response that kids have written or grade every single ed puzzle video that that is not the purpose of it the purpose of it is to get students actively involved in learning so Mm -hmm. simply the practice of oh i had to answer a check for understanding question and i got a response back to no did i get it right or not and i had to go scrub back that is much more powerful than just watching a video a static video and then answering some questions afterward and if you never once put those ed puzzle grades in the grade book, fine. It doesn't matter. That is you still incorporated a more effective instructional practice. And so that's another thing. I don't want, I want to make sure that anyone listening doesn't see that as a barrier, like, oh, if I start to have more student kind of work out in the world, that that suddenly means I have to start looking at it and assessing it. That is actually what it is, is it's a formative assessment that is built into the instruction that's happening in class that allows you, like you said, to glance at it and say, "Mm, we don't get it kind of collectively or, Hey, there's a few kids that I'm going to strategically pull into my back table while the rest of you all are working on a hyperdoc or a choice board or some other flipped instruction. So that, that allows me to do that. And that allows you to kind of incorporate this real time feedback in the moment feedback that, should have the impact of reducing the need to to be giving, you know, students feedback outside of class. It's it's all happening in the classroom environment.
1: I think that's really good that you clarified that because I I didn't mean to make it sound like I have an expectation that people do extra work. So I think that clarification is really good and I think another thing as you're talking about some of these formative ways to not only for the teacher to give options for the student to do some self-assessment and see what they need to do to engage. We've had this come up in multiple conversations we've had this season with people. And I think maybe it started because of the NAEP testing. But every year we have to do these standardized tests, right, where we pull kids out of the classroom and they sit for a couple hours and they do. And we're spending billions of dollars in this country to do that and Dr. Ho from Harvard, who this is one of his areas of expertise, said, you know, that came from teachers not, I mean, not teachers, families not trusting teachers that they were doing what we were asking them to do. And I think the practices you're talking about could create some of this good feedback. And when students go to do student-led conferences and the t- and the parents are seeing that the the student really is owning the learning and learning and growing and making, maybe we could feel like we could take a breath and step back from doing standardized testing every single year and maybe find some key points to do it. And that could create some serious revenue to put back into schools and maybe even into teachers pockets because they're working hard.
0: Yeah. And uh, (laughs) I agree. Yeah. And, and time spent, you know, preparing and things like that. I, 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 I will also say, so I, I completely agree with that, and I, and I will also say that this stuff that we're talking about is, doesn't have to be mutually exclusive from standardized testing. That, that is right. one of the most common <laughs> resistance points that I will hear, that I have to prepare students for standardized testing. The best way to prepare students for standardized testing is to prepare them to think and be learners and what we're talking about is how to help people become better thinkers and better learners. So if a if a person is pretty good at that, they are likely going to perform better on an assessment like that. Now, do I think that those types of assessments should be the end all be all and kind of have this overweighted impact on whether or not we determine a, a school is successful? Uh, of course not. I don't. But I also want to be clear for people listening that still have to do standardized tests that this is a path to increasing scores for standardized tests as well. So school leaders that want to do that, you know, if you're really getting students to think deeply and critically, they're probably going to perform better too.
1: Well, and and that's exactly the concept we want people to understand is that critical thinking piece when kids find ways to problem solve when they get a question that they don't know the answer to, but they see a multiple choice with different answers, they're going to be able to kind of go through and say, "Well, this one doesn't really work," and they, and they can use those problem solving skills. So even if they don't have the direct knowledge, they would have the skills to problem solve through it. And that's where, as a country, we've been sort of failing on the worldwide platform, is that we haven't been at that place like we wanted to be. And so learning these UDL concepts, really thinking about sim- like letting student centered education be the norm and giving students that investment in their own education, that feedback is just incredibly powerful. And I'm so excited to hear so many people understanding that and teaching that. And I love that you're out there teaching that and helping teachers learn how to do that for people who learned in a different generation, went to college in a different generation for their degree, because we all need to learn and grow and figure out how to embrace this at every level, whether you're a special service provider like myself, or a teacher, or a paraprofessional, or student aide, or an administrator, or a parent, we all need to learn how to bring students in and engage them in how to problem solve and create that critical thinking. That is the biggest part of the puzzle that we got to figure out. And you're starting to really, I think you and a lot of other people, some of the The authors you listed. I know some of the people we've been able to talk to have really clarified some of these concepts. And I'm just super grateful that you took the time today. And we had technical, I had technical (laughs) difficulties. You did not. I had technical difficulties today and you were super patient with me. And I know your time is precious, but I really appreciate the investment you made here to share this with us. So thank you so much.
0: Of course. Yeah. And I, always have technical difficulties (laughs) It was a rarity that i didn't have technical difficulties i one thing that people often do not assume about me is that i'm actually not at all a techie person and i am the kind of person who's scared of technology and doesn't really know how to operate lots of things and have had numerous fails and was never particularly interested in technology. So you can still learn how to do it and use it even if you're not a particularly techie person. And really we live in an exciting time. I, it's a It's a challenging time and a chaotic time, but it's also a time in which the tools and the resources exist yeah. to completely transform the way that we think about school the way that we educate people and to really get back to the, the core aspect of it, which is about inculcating a, a love of learning and a sense that a person has control over their own life. They can go out and they their actions will lead to certain outcomes, they have agency. And the traditional model of, of teacher-centered, one-size-fits-all instruction does not promote that, but we do now have the ability to shift and create a different model and teachers can do it in their own individual classrooms it does not have to be yeah. something that is a school-wide or a district-wide initiative i know because i did that that myself and so i think yeah to, to try to i can be kind of pessimistic sometimes and so it's it's uh, my wife is gonna laugh at me when she hears that she <laughs> be optimistic she's gonna be like really that's what you're saying be optimistic but i think it is a time still to be optimistic i remain optimistic about the future of education. I think that we we live in an exciting time and we can we can do it.
1: We can do it. And that's sort of our little catchphrase that we say at the end of every episode that together we can do better. And we really mean it because we're finding so many amazing educators and community members and families and students that are just putting forth such amazing ideas and hopeful concepts that I think we can do better too. I have a lot of, it's a bummer to look at numbers right now because we're still looking at numbers that came out of COVID that, but I think we're making progress. And I think some of these digital curriculums that are doing testing as you go are producing some data that is showing us we are kind of turning a corner. And the good thing about COVID and sort of falling on our face means there's nowhere to go but up, right? (laughs) So we can really start making those moves. And I will be having my eye out for when I see you speaking somewhere. My district, I recently moved from Colorado to back to New Mexico. And the district I'm working in is somewhat rural, but fairly large. It's about 8,000 students. And what's nice about a smaller district is it's a little easier to pivot, right? So they're really making a push and getting a lot of training into our district for the teachers and the educators there about getting more inclusive and UDL and I might have to throw out the idea that you could potentially come do some training because everything that you're saying, I feel like is empowering to educators. And I would love for the people that I work with to get to hear this. So I hope that they'll tune in. But if not, maybe we can get you out to our district, see the lovely land of enchantment.
0: Definitely. (laughs) I love New Mexico. And yeah, if any school leaders are out there listening and are interested, we do have a brand new program called next generation teacher plus which is really drilling down Uh, we've done a lot of research and legwork about what best practices exist out there about uh, effective technology focused professional development and it's really about providing ongoing support that is discovery based hands-on that has authentic application of learning access to mentors coaching so we've developed a program that we're actually going to be announcing next week again in collaboration with that tech teacher that we're very excited about that we are going to be bringing to schools and districts so yeah i'd love to come to new mexico and and i anticipate that this year i'll be traveling around a, a bunch so maybe i'll just be out there and can swing by and say hello
1: Well, definitely. If you had our way, let me know. I think people tune in. If you're on YouTube, you can get great videos and great resources from, and are you on YouTube still as the New EdTech Classroom?
0: Yes. Yeah. So New EdTech Classroom is still our company name, but we also have Next Generation Teacher as our program that we have a separate website now for.
1: I know it's hard to keep up with all the things, right? But you have to so that people can find it easily. (laughs) So I get it. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time. I'm going to make sure in our narrative that we have all these links listed so people can just open it up when they're listening to the podcast and find it and link to those things. I really appreciate all the things you guys are doing, you and Tom both for just revolutionizing teaching and just supporting teachers doing their thing because there are some amazing teachers
0: out there and we're so grateful to have them. Well, thank you, Holly. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure.
2: Well, that was a great interview. I'm sorry I missed it. He had a lot of great information to share, I think.
1: He did, and I loved that he spent a lot of time talking about student-centered learning and the idea that a teacher shouldn't be standing up in front of the students for longer than a minute to give instruction was mind-boggling. And I think a lot of teachers will say, how will I do that? How will I accomplish that? And then he goes on and gives us so many good details about how to get that done. And really encourages all of us to not be so stressed about tech and get using tech and, you know, find one or two things that really work. Keep it simple. Really focus on that time you get with the students. And I thought that was powerful and I loved it. It was such a good conversation.
2: Yeah, I really liked the whole idea about the one minute trick thing. We should all try it to see how that goes.
1: <laughs> I guess we should try it on our intros and outros because nobody wants to hear us talking. <laughs> that might be true too.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, next week, let's see who's on the agenda for next week. Next week, oh, we've got our big interview coming up with Posse Solberg, Dr. Posse Salberg. He used to be The Minister of Education for Finland, when Finland was really in the the heart and the the height of really making reform of education, he was actively involved in that. And now he goes around and works in universities in different countries, helping them to really transform their teacher education programs so that we can help develop teachers that can be doing these universal design, these student-led Concepts within the classroom, and Finland had some very interesting things that they focused on, including full inclusion. So, it took a lot of finagling because he's in Australia and we're here in the United States, and we had to come up with the schedule. But we're going to meet with him and interview him, and that will be coming up here pretty
2: quick. Yeah, I'm excited about that one. I feel like we're uh, getting to the big times here.
1: I know, right? I can't believe he said <laughs> yes. He was—he's amazing. So. Everybody out there, be ready for that. That is coming. It is going to be so good. And together, Together, we we can can do do better. better. See you next time.
2: Bye.